Yeah. Hey there, welcome to the Woman on Fire podcast. I'm Daniela and we've got Jamie. Aloha. And we're stoked to be here again today with you. And our main topic will eventually be cords in pregnancy and labor. Uh, but we have a couple of topics before we get to that. Uh, one is updates on the legislative adventures of midwifery regulations in Hawaii. Uh, you want to go for it? I could, I could do the second topic. <laughs> <laughs> Not to throw that hot potato at you, just. Uh, well, it's um, as uh, not terribly surprising, but our bill made it through the first hearing, but then was turned into a task force um, by the first um, committee. Yeah. Then it passed its second floor reading and got put into the second committee. And the second committee um, was chaired by Senator Roz Baker, who is essentially the um, the senator who put the midwifery licensure into action. It was her bill and she presented it and she kind of pushed it through. So she essentially said that she doesn't think there will ever be a compromise better than what we have here. And so she was just going to, um, what is it? She was gonna defer it indefinitely, which means that our bill, this bill um, will have to wait another year um, we were hoping at least for the task force because uh, it would give us an opportunity to sit at the table with the, the um, ACOG representative again. We've been trying to have meetings with ACOG since the end of the task force. Everybody was interested in who was participating in the task force was interested in conti the continuation of it to resolve some other issues such as transport, which relates to all home births, not just talking about this exemption um, and resolve some other issues like um, expansion of the licensure for those who did the PEP process and various things like that. Um, so everyone was interested in continuing those conversations except ACOG basically said, well, we did what was legislated and, and we're done. And so they, they just stepped out. So they kind of went in it with the idea that, you know, they were just going to um, kind of agree to disagree the whole time and not really um, participate further than that and stand behind their um, general statement of ACOG that they just don't support home birth period. And, um, and that's where they have stayed since then, even though we have tried to make some, some attempts at reaching out and having these deeper conversations about what could they support um, is it really just the word midwife? Is it, you know, like what's, what's going on? And so that has left us to ponder once again and work hard at um, working with those who are interested in staying involved in the conversation, Department of Health, DCCA, um, the midwives who are licensed who support um, alternative practices or um, traditional practices. They're not really alternative. They're the foundation. <laughs> and so I want to be mindful because the word midwife, right? Language matters and, and all these things as we say. So I don't want to necessarily call it an alternative thing because it is for some people very mainstream in their belief system. So, um, 
So we're still trying to uh, communicate and, and work with some of the other legislators because it does also seem more and more like they are starting to understand the broader scope. Um, and legislation takes time and it's really frustrating, but if there's <laughs> yeah. anything that midwives are good at, it's being patient and persistent. <laughs> well, you know, yes, uh, senators, you know, it takes time to grow the knowledge around the nuances of all this. I mean, from the beginning of my journey into getting into the birth community here, to where I am now, there's been a tremendous amount of growth. I made a lot of assumptions at the beginning that I've shared on other episodes where I was like, oh, of course, it's great. Don't we want licensure? Fantastic. Then I realized, oh, there's so much that I'm not seeing um, or wasn't seeing at the time. So, so it's taken me dedicating my life to this to learn the nuances. So it's hard to expect someone who, you know, is only going to think about midwifery for a few hours in the whole year um, in regards to a bill to get it. But to Senator Kehokalole's credit, he's the one that passed, helped pass the bill in the first committee this yes. year. And he, I mean, I mean, granted it passed by completing gutting it. So he kind of like pressed delete on the bill and and then inserted what Jamie mentioned, which was the the task force, right? So it's like, all right, home birth task force, which had come together a few years ago. It's like, all right, let's call everyone back in, reconvene to figure out all right uh, more details. Um, so he passed it as that. Um, and we're like, all right, fine, better than nothing. Let's do it. Let's keep talking, keep the conversation alive. Let's figure it out. And, and then, but then we got shut, shut down later on. Um, for now, that's where it stands. Um, so, so that's the update. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of as much as we've got for now. I mean, you can follow Hawaii Home Birth Collective because um, anything that's new, um, anything that's relevant for you to know or to do will be on there. Um, we yeah. also do encourage people to like continue to like drop that line into your representative or your senator um, that it is it does still matter. And even though it didn't pass, you know, they should they should be on the lookout. It does it does matter to have these conversations. Um, and it actually, even in a time when it's not as pressing, uh, you know, we got gained some support from some of the Big Island representatives simply because one of the um, midwives over there, who's a licensed certified professional midwife, um, went and took the time to like connect with her senator and and help this person understand on a deeper level what this is all about. I mean, she did a lot of like history lesson as well of like where it's come from and where it's going. And, you know, um, it made a big difference. They ended up being really supportive because they finally understood that we're not just a bunch of woo-woos out here trying to do whatever the heck we want. Like we have, um, I think you said it best really when in our um, testimony of that like birth is a culture and it's not based necessarily on people's like ethnicity or demographic or social set you know like where they are in the social or economic system it's it's a real like it's a culture in and of itself and almost like on some levels could be considered a religion it's absolutely a belief system <laughs> a philosophy values um and yeah. for some it's not and right and there's a whole system already and that's for a that. whole culture <laughs> in and of itself exactly exactly and so 
Um, yeah, so it's easy to sort of feel defeated or um, disappointed, but I really think that that the opportunity to rise above this, um, when we were hiking today and talking about like, you know, not standing in op opposition, but like creating an, just creating an alternative path. And I think that there are people out there who are trying to do these things. Indie Birth is trying to do authentic midwifery. Um, Freebirth Society is trying to do authentic midwifery. They're trying to come up with titles that can, can help support these people who have essentially like the root foundation of midwifery at heart um, and not have this over-medicalized uh, paradigm. And so I think that it's possible to create an alternative path or an additional path, mm -hmm. again, not alternative, an additional path yeah. to stand in alignment with what's right for us instead of constantly fighting, fighting, fighting and sometimes that does mean, yeah, like we've fought for a long time for this word because we know it's the foundation. It's the root system of where all of this comes from. And trees have many branches is what we were also talking about as we were hiking in the woods today. And, you know, there's this branch and there's that branch. And sometimes branches get cut off and other branches sprout from below. And, you know, so trying to recognize that, like, um, and, and also talking about the, the revelation of being in Tahiti and the, mid, the the women there saying, you know, like, well, for us, midwifery was taken from us so long ago that, you know, what we consider a midwife is a hospital-based medical practitioner. We don't see an, an, a different, like, thing when we think midwife. And so when I went there and they were saying, you know, and then I had this midwife and people were like, well, what midwife would let you da, 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 because they don't get it. Cause in their world, midwives are in charge, <laughs> in charge. And they're really tied into the medical system and they're the authority. And, you know, she would politely correct people that it's not my midwife's job to tell me what to do. It's my midwife's job to inform me and then support my decisions. And, but it was very interesting because for us, it's like it was just taken away, but for them, it's been gone so long that that's not how they identify necessarily, even though they know that it is the roots of the of the work. So anyhow, that's a little side tangent of what has come from the legislation <laughs> and the thoughts that are swirling around of like, how do we continue to hold this um, really important foundational work in its highest regard, instead of letting it get swept under the rug by bureaucracy and, because um, really that's what we are trying to do is, is protect this very foundational knowledge to support women who maybe and I always think about too, like if there is a hurricane or a tsunami here and we don't have power and we can't get medicine and there's nothing, there's no tools, there's no transportation, there's no, what are you going to do? You can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Like you have to have, you have to hold on to some of this stuff and, and mm -hmm. it belongs to every 
birthing family. It doesn't belong to a higher education system. Sure, maybe when we're using like medications, like pharmaceuticals and lots of like instrumental things. Okay, medical setting. But what we're doing is physiological birth and it's very different. We're not talking about having a hospital birth at home. We're talking about having a birth at home. <laughs> Just as it's been happening in the human species history for all of our time here. Um, you know, yeah, back to our conversation in the mountain today of like, it's so fresh to have this term midwife um, be um politicized i mean here in hawaii at least legally and it's very strange for me i mean and for you too that's how you've been identifying in the community that's how they know you for so long and then here i am having been training in the midwifery model with midwives for all these years and now i'm finally ready serving the community as a wait what what, what, what am i what do, i've been what it's <laughs> like uh <laughs> wait now i have to read adjust and it's very confusing to my heart and mind and it's, and there and yes a lot of time spent on the fighting and the resisting and and there's still a place for the the standing firmly for what we believe in but i'm reconsidering or just pondering this you know okay not just the fighting right not just the resisting like okay at some point it's gotta it's just gonna change um so now i've grieved i'll probably grieve a little while longer of letting go of like wow okay lots of places in the world have had to let go of that term and even the term tra traditional birth attendant you know it's funny going down the rabbit hole online i saw an article about traditional birth attendants and someone from like the who came in to interview them and they're like well what do you think about being called a traditional birth attendant because legally that's what you are and these midwives and their language is like first they like just cracked up right they're like what are you talking about we're not midwives if we're not the midwives we're the midwives we've always been the midwives like everybody here knows we're the midwives they're like what are you talking about <laughs> you're like i don't so there they are just in their community bubble and then this like bureaucrat from the outside comes in it's like well on the global level this is actually what you are it's like what are you talking about they just like who are you to come in here and tell us what yeah, we are yeah, you know? <laughs> so i was like yeah you know go for them um so but along these lines of like okay well i mean now that even that term isn't gonna be maybe honored who knows we'll see what happens next year but i'm kind of excited for the new growth right okay so the branch has been cut off but the tree's not dead the roots are there the tree has life force inside and it'll branch out and there's different direction. And there's people fertilizing it. <laughs> there are people fertilizing this notion that like we don't, this is this is worthy of respect and honor. And I also I'm like, I don't wanna I do identify as a midwife. I don't live in French Polynesia, you know, like I that is how people refer to me, and it is challenging. We had a women's circle a month ago, and it was like <laughs> we are um uh, community <laughs> birth 
practitioners. We are uh, uh, we're yeah. helping babies out. Of we are women. fumbling to figure out the right words because times are changing and we're trying to adjust. <laughs> what are we? Tell us what we are, please. We help the mummies and the but babies. But anybody who has worked with us over these years, like, yeah, no, you're my midwife. I just had an interview the other day on the North Shore and this guy comes by and he like takes his mask off and he's like, oh, you're yeah. my midwife. And he, they just moved back. I haven't seen them in a few years. And he like gives me this huge hug, you know, and you're my midwife. He's like, are you interviewing there as a midwife? You know, and I'm like, I mean, <laughs> yes, but. But no, but maybe, yeah. but. I'm going to help for her get this baby out though. Yeah. Like, if she needs the help <laughs> yeah so it's just a really very funny dichotomy and so and it's good to be able to laugh about it too like I said it oh, can't yeah. we can't get too like downtrodden and dismal we have to just I like these midwives in these countries who are like well, who are you to come in and tell me yeah, who like, are you to come in and tell me what I am yeah so <laughs> but in some ways if the word's gonna be commandeered okay well then how can I also adapt yeah uh by uh, in a way that honors the true roots and essence of midwifery as it's always been um in a way that yeah just honors autonomy and, and choices and and a huge ginormous broad spectrum of of normal and very variety um and I, and I don't have the answer to that i'm not sure how the tree's gonna grow in different directions but if you've ever been on a hike and spent time with plants in the mountains man they do some wicked amazing things to just keep growing i love seeing plants it's like this plant looks dead and then you come back a week later like oh my gosh it's sending off a shoot in another direction oh my goodness yeah <laughs> so it's like uh, yeah death crumble we just gotta transformation keep the water and the sunlight the water and the <sighs> sunlight yeah and trust and trust that whatever will be will be it has to be the it will have to ultimately end up being okay yeah yeah right it's through that pressure that transformation can occur yeah and and transformation can be uncomfortable but it, on the other end it's like oh well if it weren't for the pressure we wouldn't have transformed so and it's always about birth yeah. and it's never about birth but that's basically <laughs> like it's always bigger than birth but it sums it right down into a birth analogy once yeah. again indeed <laughs> We've done it again. <laughs> Birth analogy. <laughs> All right. Well, so okay, that's good on our update. So yeah, can move on to keep talking to your folks. Let yeah, them know. Talk to the folks. Send us questions if you want. Write them a letter of thanks or yeah. curiosity or you know, go for it. Don't be shy. They're they probably aren't gonna call you back. So <laughs> uh, yeah. and if they do and you're like, oh, I don't really know what to say, we've got plenty of people that um can help support the conversations too so totally yeah just keep birthing your babies in love and light yeah all right ready for the next one next update okay it's super short i just it's in relationship to our previous episode that i'll make sure to release right before this one so this makes sense um <laughs> on missing periods um or late periods um so i shared about my recent late period adventure and i kind of may have pieced something together I don't know for sure but it is a factor that I wanted to point out that's possible about the effects of light on our cycles right so here's what I realized that last cycle where it was longer than usual for me 
I was up North Shore, up country on just, it was pitch black when I was sleeping, which is not the case when I sleep here. I got like two street lights that beam in and I haven't gotten curtains because excuses, I just haven't. <laughs> so I think that may have been a part of it. It's uh, least possible. I haven't been able to test it. I want to black out my room now here and see what happens. Um, see if maybe that's what's messing with it. So maybe that's why my cycle is longer, maybe not, but the, it's been studied, right? So that when we are exposed to light, so imagine back in the day, we're just humans in nature, like you got the moon, that's your main source of light at night, right? So usually women will tend to ovulate around the full moon. Now don't trip out if that's not what's happening with you. They're like, oh my gosh, I'm bleeding during the blue full moon. Like, well, don't worry about it. That's not, <laughs> but you know. We're, we're pretty far from nature. At this yeah, point. well, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> in many ways, yes. And that's, you know, not the worst thing for your cycle to not be ovulating with the full moon. But um, it, it can be a piece of the puzzle, right? And so they've done studies where people, they'll just put a light next to them in the bed and there's just, so artificial light can still do that, right? That's why when we stay up really late with the lights on, we're on our screens, that can also affect the cycle. So interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I just thought, oh, maybe that's it. I was in the country and then now I'm back in the city where we live isn't quite the city, but compared to country, it's a little yeah. more active around here. There's more lights. Um, so yeah, I was like, oh, maybe that was it. Maybe. Well, it's yeah. also funny because then since we did that episode, we've had multiple people come up and talk to us about their missed periods and we haven't even released the episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe we'll have to have some other ones like part two and three of missed periods. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, it happens and it's oh. a real like navigation point. Oh, a real yeah. roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that was my short update. Um, and now we can get to the real topic of course. The real topic, <laughs> the thing that just keeps dragging us along, the big fear <sighs> topic. Yeah. What happens if there's an umbilical cord in the way? And what does that mean? Yeah, that's probably been on your folks' mind if you're having babies yourself, just because on our end as the birth workers, we hear that a lot, right? That's like one of the common questions or concerns, like, but what if there's a cord around the neck, particularly? There's other ways the cord could be playing around and we'll get into them, but the neck one's a common one. And I wonder how that started being a thing, I, know, or being a fear. I, um, I don't want to necessarily hypothesize, <laughs> but I mean, there's I a lot of women who end up with C-sections with very babies having variable heart rates or things like that, that I feel like often it gets blamed on a nuchal cord, whether, and the woman will have no idea because she can't see on whether it was tight or not. I think that cord issues have gotten bad wraps worse and worse over the years because like many, they need a reason to have surgically removed your baby. <laughs> and then that gets tricky though, because then people on an ultrasound, not in labor, just a routine ultrasound in pregnancy will be like, they'll might see a cord around the baby's neck. And, and then that might lead to the fears of like, oh, well, that sounds dangerous. And I mean, well, here's the short of it. And then we'll continue with the long of it. But in short, 
They're not usually a problem. They can be a problem, but it is not by default a problem. And they're often not a problem, <laughs> um, but they could be, but they're usually not. <laughs> so seeing it, I mean, if we had something around our neck like that, that's different than a baby, right? I mean, they're physiologically designed to receive cord, uh, the blood and oxygen through their, through the cord, right? So you got to remember that, right? So, so it has to be a little tight. It has to be extremely tight for it to be an issue, right? Where it would cut off circulation to the brain, right? Oh, exactly, right? Because they're not breathing, right, through their lungs in utero, right? So that's, that's not the problem. Or, if, but a problem could happen is maybe the cord does get really tight, right? And it, mm -hmm. the cord itself is compressed. Okay. But again, cord compression could happen regardless of the cord being around the neck or not. So that's, again, not just because the cords around the neck per se. Um, when we were looking at statistics, it uh, said that about 10% of stillbirths are related to nuchal cords. That means 90% aren't. So, and a nuchal cord is a cord around the neck. So 90% of stillbirths are not, have nothing to do with that. And again, statistics are statistics. So you have to take it a little bit with a grain of salt that statistics aren't always super accurate. Could be a little more, could be a little less. But if you think about it, there's not a lot of stillbirths and then only 10% of those are related to nuchal cords. So we're not talking about all babies born, we're talking about 10% of stillbirths. So it's a very small number of a very small number right. resulting in a even smaller number. And we did look up the statistics for just all babies in general that are born, how often it happens. And it's, they say 20%, at some point I had read 30%. Yeah. So it is common for a baby to have a cord around the neck or around the arm or around the chest having multiple loops it said again the statistics say about five percent of babies have multiple loops um and from what i have seen i mean i've had some tight cords over the years some little purple heads um, <laughs> um but uh but ultimately i have not personally seen it as any major issue as far as cords around the neck. I remember one of our colleagues had a woman whose the baby's cord was four times around the neck. I've seen three times, a few times. I had a woman who had the cord three times and it had a, a knot in it. Mm -hmm. And the baby never had any problems with its heart rate, never had any issue coming out. Right. So how do you know if it's a problem or not? Well, fetal heart tone monitoring is kind of the best way to know other than like a mother is being in tune and noticing differences in movement but the heart tones are what's really going to tell you in real time how the baby's responding in labor to contractions or not right and so i won't go down the rabbit hole yeah but right exactly and how close is the baby <clears throat> are they really low are they about to come through are they getting compressed through the bones but so that can let cue you in is baby tolerating labor regardless of why what factor might be interfering or not but that that's kind of it so most babies come out and we don't know that there was a cord until they come out and we see the cord because the heart rate was great the whole time right and then what do you do 
What do you do, Jamie, when there's a cord around the neck? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> just just unwrap your present. Yeah. Unravel yeah, oh, yeah, it yeah. And then, oh, yeah. Oh, well. You can right. pull it over their head if it's loose, if you're having a really hands-on birth. But if you're not having a really hands-on birth, say you're catching your baby, not your partner oh, yeah, that's or your what I mean. midwife. Yeah then you just let them deliver with the cord and then you unravel them once they're out. Right. That's it. That's it. You it's, see a cord? Unravel the cord. Yeah. It's, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's honestly intuitive. not it's rocket. Right? Like pick the cord on. There you go. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so, and every now and again, again, you will get one that's like pretty tight and you may try to, to, if you're a really hands-on um, support person, you may try to, to pull it over the baby's head, but really what I have found is actually that can cause more stress on the cord and you're more likely to get a break, which is another cord, potential cord problem that we can dive into next. Um, but really the main thing is to not let them shoot straight out. You just kind of want to keep the baby's head close to mommy's thigh um, or, or her, her pubic bone or whatever, and kind of let the baby somersault out on over itself, as opposed to project straight out like a, like a missile. <laughs> you, uh, um, you kind of want to let them somersault over themselves so the cord doesn't extend or pull or get even tighter. You kind of just keep them real close and let their body flop over, and then you can easily unravel them because there will be more length on the cord because the body will be out then. Um, yeah, yeah, just, you know, sometimes it's tricky to know how to say something on these podcast episodes, just because I'm not sure who's listening. So what's the relevant perspective for folks, but it's good. What I'll try my best to make it general, but <clears throat> I'm thinking about when the birth happened in the pool and the cords around the neck and, you know, back to like who's bringing up the baby is it mom the partner someone in the pool is it, is it a sibling <laughs> um or the provider or whatever and sometimes you know if you see the cord underwater like unravel it there but sometimes someone might not notice it uh, an excited family member bringing up the baby and they're like oh and, they're like, oh. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then they're kind of above the water so you can't put them back down so you're trying to like very carefully bring the loop up off the cord while not dunking them back in but they can't go too high <laughs> so i guess uh i wanted to point out if you're in a position maybe as a, a family member or the mother herself birthing your baby like try if you can give yourself a, a moment before you bring the baby out of the water to pay attention to see if maybe there's a cord wrapped around <laughs> in some way <laughs> or even just bringing them up in general if you're on burst stool or squatting general, or anything yeah. just take a take a little peek um, and help help unravel them because it's not just the the neck it's also the navel you don't necessarily want to pull the umbilicus too hard because you don't want to give the baby an umbilical hernia um, and so just being being mindful right like being intentional about receiving your baby which again not always easier said than done yeah. sometimes you're like <laughs> checked out and you just can't freaking believe it. It's amazing. This miracle just happened. You just want to hold that child. 
and you, the tension, you'll feel the tension, you'll mm. either in your vagina or <laughs> something because, because they won't come all the way up, you know, and it's, and that's okay too. But those, if you, you know, to avoid injury or snap cords or things like that. Yeah. So, and snap cords are another thing that people worry about, but do you have anything else to add? To that? Oh, I was, you just made me think of cord lengths. And oh yeah. Stuff, right. Cause it could be long. It could be short. Right. I had to have a C-section because I had a short cord. Right. Okay. So many thoughts there. And again, maybe there truly generally is a situation where we're like, wow, that's generally just true. I'm not saying it not, but it's also true that the babies, there's scenarios where they can come out. You want the short cord, right? As the baby's descending lower into the pelvis, then the uterus is coming down. So the cord remains the same length, but the placenta is coming down a little bit lower yeah because well. the uterus is also shrinking yeah and so like th that gives that little few more centimeters inches whatever it needs to go through right so that can happen um and there's other signs there of like how would you know if it's the short cord it's like well it may, you know baby might be taking a little longer to come down or that may be a sign that the baby is a little tangled up and you know i want to ask you about this um, need to change positions yeah yeah right change positions um kind of going back to cords around the neck though and sometimes like you hear of people having to cut the cords and this is kind of more common in certain models of care than others i've personally never seen it i've heard from one of my teachers where the baby had uh the cord wrapped around like a backpack just like super tight around the body and like was just seriously not like head was out and like the rest of the baby wasn't coming through and so they did cut and um it was one of my teachers in the birth center you know but super uncommon like even when it's tight like they can usually come out just enough to come out <laughs> right. and and you don't have to do that but I was just curious if you've ever encountered that in some way no, but we do have one of our mentors that like gives people cord clamps just in case they need to clamp, clamp and cut because the baby's coming, we're on our way, but the baby's coming faster. But then, you know, that like, what if they get hung up on a short cord or a really tangled cord, then you can clamp in two places and cut in between and that should release them. But the other side of that is that as soon as you do that, there's no more oxygen to baby really well until they're fully out, right? So if their head is only out, you know, you have to be sure that you get the rest of their body out because their body is in the birth canal at that point. So it's actually compressing them. Um, and it's, they can't take good breaths until yeah. they're fully out. So she has, she prepares a lot of people for that just in case moment, but she's never done it. She's never um, it's just something that she has passed down from her teacher and I've never seen it. I mean, again, I've seen tight cords. I've seen really entangled babies. Um, but I have never yet, I have not yet felt the need to, um, release the baby from its circulatory system yeah. prior to it could happen. It could totally happen. And I'm prepared we that's why you right. have hemostats nearby if you have hemostats or you have clamps you have something that if you needed to tie it off you could right. but ultimately the texture and the viscosity 
of the cord and it is stretchy and it can like, you know, I've only seen a few snapped cords all these years too, because they're meant to withstand some tension. Um, right. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. I guess the, po the point of that is just that it is unlikely. It's very uncommon, very rare for a cord to be so tight that the baby generally can't come out or that you need to cut it right away. Or right. Like cut the cord when only the head is out. It doesn't usually happen. So yeah, so it's reassuring. good to know <laughs> yeah. if you're worrying about it, it's good to know the possibilities so you can diffuse the worry and you would know what to do, right? Have the baby somersault over its body instead of shooting straight out. Uh, if you can pull the cord over, if it does snap, you need to be sure you clamp both ends unless you know which end is the end that's attached to baby. Because if you don't know, then you need to clamp both ends because the baby is the one you don't want to have bleeding. Um, right, the placenta end can bleed, but the baby's end cannot. No, they only have so much blood and it can get out fast. Which is why we clamp the cord. Yep. So um, before we cut it, so. Right, so cord length, so cord snapping, did you want to so, say more on that? Well, cord length is a good thing to, to talk yeah. about because that too, oh, I had a really short cord, so I have to have, had to have a C-section. And it's hard, you know, because you get these little snippets of these stories, but you don't know the whole story or you don't know what the practitioner was thinking or whatever. So you don't necessarily want to overly judge these conversations because you don't really know the background. But I mean, the shortest cord I've seen is eight inches and the longest cord I've seen has been like three and a half feet. So that's a wow. long cord. That's like the size of your five-year-old. And fine. Amazing. Totally yeah. fine. Right. Because when you have longer cords, I mean, that does kind of open up the possibility for more things to potentially happen. For cord compression, right. for cords to be around necks, for knots to happen. Or prolapse. Or prolapse. Yeah. Too. Especially in combination with other factors, right? But but then you have the times where it's just not an issue. It's just fine. Yeah. Yeah, it's really true. Um, and so, again, just, you know, thinking about evidence-based practice and then thinking about your own evidence-based practice and what do you see in, in, in your scenarios, in your stories. Um, in, in the mothers that present in front of you. So um, yeah, I mean, eight inches is hella short. Mm -hmm. The baby basically comes out and sits at the vagina mm -hmm. until the placenta comes out. So if you're in the pool, you either need to get up or your honey needs to get under you to help support you up above because the baby can't be brought up further on mom's chest. Um, unless you release them, which some people would want that. Okay, just cut the cord as opposed to waiting for the placenta to come or waiting for bleeding to stop or anything like, or not bleeding, so um, waiting for the, the exchange to, waiting for the cord to go white. Right. Um, That's amazing though. Like eight inches, still enough for this baby to come through. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's really interesting because those are things that I, 
you get VBAC women and they're like, oh, well, I had to because there was a cord around the neck or I had to because the cord was too short or I had to. And then I think about, okay, well, what have I seen? Seen these short, short cords, eight inches, 10 inches, these babies come out like these long, long, long cords that are around the neck three times with knots in them. And these babies come out and they're fine. So it is, you know, and it's not to say that that wasn't the situation with that woman, that that actually was problematic with her birth. Mm. It's just curious more than anything to sort of like compare of like, well, why was, why have I not seen that as a problem or why is that not translated as problematic? Um, so, and we may never know yeah. why, but it's, it's a fun curiosity to toss around. It is. I mean, I'll very generally share these two stories from, um, it's from a friend on the U S continent who helps volunteer at her local hospital where, um, when babies aren't going to make it, she gets called just to be there as support. And there was one family she kind of connected with over a series of years and right. So they had their stillbirth and baby had, it was like three or four cords or uh, loops around the cord and one knot. Um, and I don't remember if there was other factors and why the baby didn't make it. I just remember that in particular. And then a few years later, the family had a another baby with, that was born alive with also many loops and a knot and the cord. Like, what? You know? I mean, let alone that that happened with the same Twice woman. to one woman, yeah, right? Because they're- It's so unusual anyway, yeah. yeah. Um, but then there's an example of like, well, you know, even if that was the case that affected the first baby, it just, it's like, well, yeah, sometimes it's a problem and sometimes it's not. And most of the time it's not. And most of the time it's really not. Well, if a third to a fifth-ish of babies are born with the cord, that's a lot of babies. Yeah. And not that, right, and they're making it. Most of them are making it through that. So yeah, it's usually fine. If you get anything from this episode, just know that like, oh, well, yeah, it happens a lot and it's usually fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's really... It's true. And then of course the snapping of the cord too, just being the main thing around that is just being sure the baby has its lifeline like compressed and closed because that's, that's really, you know, again, it's super rare. I've only seen it a couple of times in all these years. And, you know, again, it's always been fine. Um, you just have to have clamps ready to go. You can't be fumbling around or looking around for the whatever string or whatever you're trying to mess with to no, close it off. You just have to close it off. Uh, one of the old school midwives here talked about said at some point, she's like, yep. And we didn't have anything. So I just bit it. And people were like, gross. Oh my God. You just, that, but the blood and that, you know, all this stuff. Death. And it's like, <laughs> well, if you bite it, it will compress it. It will clamp yeah. it, you know? And it, it gives you a moment to find something else to, mm -hmm. to deal with it. But she's like, I'm not going to just sit there and watch the baby bleed. Yeah. <laughs> you got to take care of it. You got to stop it. And mm -hmm. it was really funny because some people, of course, like have their judgment on how she practiced or who she is or whatever. And she, but that woman would do anything 
including putting her own mouth on the bleeding cord to, to make sure that, that the baby was okay. Absolutely. That's the goal. Protect the baby. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So am I, am I endorsing that that's what all midwives should do? Absolutely not. But if it was one of those things, it works. Do what you got to do. Yeah. Do what you've got it in worked. the moment. Make do. Yeah. yeah. Um, prolapse. Kind of brought it up a little Pro, bit. Yeah, prolapse is one of those things that will happen if you have a longer cord or it could happen, not will. Right, it could. There's like maybe a higher chance, especially with if somebody has too much fluid going on, right? And maybe the baby's not engaged, they're really high up and there's a lot of room between the baby's head and, and the cervix. And then the water breaks and then the cord could wash down. It could. Also not, I mean, I've not encountered that i know you've got some some experience but it's still not common um doesn't tend to happen but if it did happen i mean that is it depends on the context right yeah as you'll get into i'm sure in a moment but um generally speaking that is an emergent situation right it's like is the baby coming out right away or not like if not like this baby that's the baby's lifeline Right. So if it's looped down, protruding out of the vagina or in the vagina, it could very easily get compressed and thus preventing oxygen flow to the baby. So you have to take care of that right away. Urgency. It's an it's an emergency. Right. If you're at home transport, you're at the hospital like that's that's pretty much automatic C-section um, by and large, because like we need to get this baby out. Right. Um, yeah. The so, exception to that rule is if you have a breech baby um then sometimes there's yeah. room because the baby isn't putting the same pressure on the cervical space um there there's sometimes space in between the the legs and the chest as it's kind of taco folded there could be space in there um, for it to not get compressed so that would be something to um to look into a little bit deeper i know our buddy dr Stu has a really good podcast relatively recently he where he was talking about that specific um because people kind of like freaked out because there was this cord and he was like just in the moment but then like oh yeah people are freaking out but like there's no issue like the cord is um profusing blood beautifully and it's not so we can tell it's not getting compressed because it's pulsating and it's full of blood and so there's room for it in that little like chest fold that little taco fold um in between their legs and such so that's one of those cases where a prolapse wouldn't be necessarily the, an absolute emergent thing now if we were still dilating or they had a long way to go that's a different story and then i did experience a prolapse just one and it was with a double VBAC, so home birth actually, after two cesarean, twin mom. And she, uh, her first baby came out. And then right after that, the second baby started descending and the cord came down in front of the baby's head. And I didn't do it. It was some wonderful fast thinking from my colleague but she essentially was like, hold on, I'm gonna put my hand inside of you. <laughs> and she slid her hand in and she pushed the cord way up above the second baby's chin. 
and kind of like pushed it up there out of the way. And then the baby was born just a couple minutes later. They were only born maybe like eight minutes apart or something. So that too, it wasn't an issue because of her fast thinking of like, I see this, this is a problem. We need to resolve this. We have the space at this moment. Right. Because the baby hadn't fully descended into the pelvis yet. And so she took advantage of that moment and pushed it right up past baby. The mother was amenable to it, uh, which was great. And yeah, we had a beautiful double V-back. Uh-oh. <laughs> double, pardon me. Double V-back home birth of seven pound, 12 ounce baby boys. Healthy, vigorous babies. Yeah. yeah. So twin situations where prolapse could be more common, especially with the second baby depending. But this is why circumstance, context matters. Like what's going on particularly right now, right? This mom had just had a baby. You know, the cervix is like fully open. open. Yeah. Like yeah. this baby can come through like right away as long as we just move this out of the way yeah <laughs> um and it works so yeah um but yeah generally not common um depends when it happens when in labor um because i've heard a few stories like floating um just in like the general midwifery community of like the globe just talking to different people in general of you know like oh someone's water broke before labor and then the, they just felt the cord coming out of their vagina you know like okay well that's different they're not even in labor right that that that's very different than what you just shared right yeah um so yeah yeah don't ignore it it's just more about yeah having the awareness where are we at and what's happening and um yeah don't panic <laughs> don't panic yeah um that's a that's a big thing and because panic just makes things worse <laughs> and literally never helps and uh, yeah there's, <laughs> there's there's really no no benefit to freaking out so <sighs> yeah yeah okay any other scenarios with cords well then there's knots oh, knots yeah. in the cord <laughs> and i've had the pleasure to see again just a handful of knots they're not that con the knots are not that ah! common um but yeah triple cord looped and then a true knot in it um i have had i just recently had a woman who had a very long cord with a knot in it and the baby actually um was having a pretty low heart rate and we adjusted her and we adjusted her and she ended up just getting out of the pool and um and the baby ended up coming back fine. And then after they delivered, we saw they had a good knot in it. But the reality is that the knot itself, maybe the baby was laying on the knot because it was this very long, long cord. It's possible that the baby was laying on the knot, but the whole cord was still like full of blood. You could, there was, there didn't look like there was any place where there was compression along the way. Right, it's not like, oh, the cord is full of blood up to here, but now the rest of it's limp because it's been compressed. That's not right. Yeah. And I have seen that. I have seen a baby come out and be a little lackluster, <laughs> not that vigorous. And and then I could see exactly where the cord compression had happened um, because there was this like thick, rich part of the cord and then this very flaccid white part and i was like oh the cord must have been pinched there and the mom and dad we had had this conversation 
um, we had lots of deep conversations actually, which was really beautiful um, leading up to their child's birth. And so they just knew what to do. They just suctioned baby by mouth, spit it out and then gave a breath and then he popped right in um, and, and has been beautiful and speaks four languages. It's <laughs> like golden child. <laughs> Um, but it was really interesting to see that because I had never actually visualized that where you could see the actual compression. Um, mm -hmm. There was another woman years ago when I was in training where her baby kept having funny variabilities in the heart rate that would like come up during prenatal visits. And we were like, that's so weird. Sent her in for an ultrasound. There's no problem everything's fine. She did like a non-stress test, biophysical profile, everything was fine. And then when she had the baby, she had a really, she had a real tight knot actually. It was, cause usually knots they'll like slide. You can slide them back and forth. They're not really tight. Um, and this baby had a really, really tight knot. And we were like, and you can't really see those things in ultrasounds because everything's all jammed up in there. And especially when you got limbs, like full-size baby, you can't really see a knot. And so you can't really diagnose it. Um, and yeah, she ended up having her baby so fast that like, by the time we got there, she was like, my baby's in my swimsuit. And we were like, well, let's take your swimsuit <laughs> off. And she yeah. was in the family hot tub. And uh, yeah, and then sure enough, baby was like already like trying to get through with its shoulders, but it was getting caught up by the, the nylon of the oh, swimsuit. <laughs> and she too, no problem, but we saw the knot once the baby was out. Uh, that was the first time I saw a knot. That was uh, many, many years ago. Yeah. But it was very interesting because we caught it on the fetal heart rate, interesting. Yeah. but we didn't catch any of the fetal heart rate during the labor because she went so, so fast. fast. Thank goodness. It was like her sixth baby and she had it in like an hour. Mm. And I live an hour away. Uh, like I literally, right. the baby was essentially like out almost. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, first knots. You're reminding me of my first knot. Yeah, which is my first birth ever. Whoa! Yeah, with our mentor. Um, and that was not fast. That was actually a very long labor, but the heart rate was always great. Uh huh. And that baby came out and transitioned perfectly, very smooth, like pink and vigorous right off the bat, like wonderful. Um, and it took us a while to realize, oh, hey, there's a knot, right? Because there's other things going on, but point being it wasn't an issue in that case That's again curious. most of the time it's not an issue and every mm -hmm. now and again it can be but we really like to harbor the stories of the bad stuff and then scare our women uh, <laughs> into thinking or our, uh the the families into thinking that it's gonna be a problem because it was a problem for you know this small percentage of people um and then here we risk people out because of certain things that may or may not be an issue in their circumstance. So, right. Yeah. yeah. It's very interesting, but that's yeah. sort of, I hope that demystifies a little bit of the cord stuff. Yeah. Um, there's not, it's, it's really common. It's really common to have cords, nuchal cords around the neck, around the arms, all tangled up. Um, 
a friend of mine invited me to her birth with strict like understanding that I was not allowed to midwife her, which was easy to do. <laughs> but her husband wanted me there because he had a dream that the baby was going to be all tangled up in the cord. And she delivers this baby and he's catching. And then he like, he pops up, his head pops up and he looks at me. And so I stand up and I walk over and the baby was completely tangled in the cord, wow. like all around arms and neck and waist all tangled up and I just sort of helped him unravel and then I went and made tea <laughs> but it was that peace of mind because he he saw it in a dream and he was like I just want that peace of mind that someone is there and it was really funny how it all played out because it was like yeah he he dreamt that wow just as I didn't think I was going to make it to the birth because it was rush hour traffic mm. and on the west side and and I was like no I dream I dreamt that we were all going to be there ah. so I'm not going to stress I might drive on the shoulder a little bit but I'm not going to stress I'm going to make it <laughs> yeah that's actually a good topic sometimes is dad's connections in birth right we speak of mother's intuition yeah dad's intuition on this one yeah there are a lot of fathers that are tuned in mm -hmm. and I think we don't give them enough credit I would love to host some fathers. Hey, if that's you listening, email us. Yeah. Maybe you're already listening <laughs> and tuned in, but I'm I'm sure we know some wonderful, amazing men too. Yeah. Yeah, that's but it's nice because we know stories from people we serve and it's fun to hear other people's stories when uh, we weren't there, yeah. you know? Like, I love hearing how people have been guided to navigate things with the, with either their intuition or with the guidance of their mentor or their midwife or um, their wife, their, you know, I think it's really great to share these stories because they do, they come from all over. We all have them. Yeah. We all have them. Yeah. Yeah. It's connecting over the stories is really special. So that'd be great. Yeah. Totally. Makes me think about my mom with her triple cord and the knot. And I was like, I wonder if she would, her baby just turned two and she has a real interesting story. I may have to reach out to them. Um, their five-year-old son with his super curiosity, curiosities and her husband right there to catch and he's a little nervous, but he was going to do it and he did great. And, yeah. yeah. And just take off one cord, take off the next cord, mm -hmm. take off the next cord. Wow. It was really yeah. amazing. It really yeah. is. Uh, more thoughts? Last, last minute, last comments? No, I think fear less. <laughs> yeah, genuinely. Trust more, That's fear it. less. Be right. realistic, but stay optimistic. Right. Yeah, I think that's it. That, that was kind of the goal was just that we know that's a big common fear. Um, and often it's overseeing the fact that wait, hold on, actually, most of the time it's fine. <laughs> like, it doesn't mean automatic issue at all, you know? So that, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Just a short, sweet little, little podcast today talking about, talking about stuff that almost everyone brings up in interviews. Yeah. Almost everybody knows somebody that's got some, something about cords. Some, something. Some, something. <laughs> if you have a cord story uh, and want to share um, where you'd be happy to chat with you 
you have our email. If not, it's uh, womanonfirepodcast at gmail.com. You can email us there. And that's it. That's all, folks. (laughs) All right. See you next time.